Uh, we are starting a new message series today called Stuff Nobody Says. And, and the idea about this is that all of us, or, or maybe not all of us, but for a lot of folks in life, you end up places that you never really planned on being. But then there you are. And you never, you never said, uh, hey, this is where I want to go, but then one day you wake up and that's where you are. If you, for instance, I don't know anyone that when they graduate high school say, you know what my plan is? My plan in the next 10 years is to double my weight. And, uh, and all this stuff on my body that now is firm and in place is going to be flabby and saggy. Nobody makes that plan. But then when you go to a 10-year high school reunion, you run into a lot of folks and you're like, daggum, you weigh twice as much as you did when we graduated. You don't say that to them, but that's what you're thinking. And maybe that's where you are. And, and no one planned to do that. No one planned to get to that point. No one plans. To, I've never known anyone that says, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to have a crippling addiction to something, either alcohol or drugs or something. I want or gambling. I want to have this addiction that's so bad that it ruins my marriage. I, my kids are estranged from me. I lose my job. That's really what I want to do with my life is have a terrible addiction. Nobody says that. But you know that people end up there all the time. Why is that? So we're going to talk for the next few weeks about some, some stories in the Bible where we see where people ended up places that they didn't want to be and what, what are the lessons we can learn from that. Here, here's the overall thing that I just want you to know as we go through this week by week. One of the reasons why we end up places we never intended to be when it comes to spiritual things and things like that is that when we are left to our own, just, you know, if we just live without making any effort, we will drift away from Jesus. We have to fight for holiness. We have to fight to stay on the path that Jesus wants us to stay on. If we just wake up and we think every day, hey, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, I really don't have to do anything, I don't have to put any effort, I don't have to put any thought into it, I can just, you know, it's just going to be okay the way it is. We will drift away from Jesus. That's our natural inclination. So that we have to fight for holiness. And so part of what we're going to be talking about this month is ways that we can be very aware of the reality of, of where we're going to end up and steps we can take to be sure that we don't end up in those places that we don't want to be. And so today we're going to talk about a story from, from the book of Mark. If you want to go in open to the book of Mark, it's in the New Testament. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. It's going to be Mark chapter 10. New Testament's the second part of the Bible, and you've got the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is the second one, Mark, and uh, we're going to be in there in just a little bit. I want to, I want to just begin by just being honest with you about something, and that is that I like stuff. I just really like stuff. And what I mean by stuff is, is you, you probably have the same definition of stuff that I do. It's, it's these inanimate objects that we have in our life that we really want so bad that we pay money for them, we try to get them, and we think our lives will not be complete without them. Things like furniture and boats and cars and houses and phones and computers and clothes and all these kinds of things. I like stuff. I really, really, really like stuff. There's never a time in my life where I don't have a list of stuff in my mind that I want next. 
Now, I try to live my life in such a way as that I don't buy the stuff if I don't have the money for it, and I don't go into debt to get the stuff. That's, that's one good thing that, that I've tried to put into my life and, that, and that, that Jesus is helping me stay faithful to that. But that doesn't mean that there's not a bunch of stuff that I want. In fact, just yesterday, my birthday's coming up later this month, and, and my sister sent, sent Sherry a text to say, hey, any ideas on what Cliff wants for his birthday? So I'm sitting right there next to her in the car, and she said, your sister wants to know what you might want for your birthday. Well, I, I didn't say anything because here's the thing. I know about how much they're going to spend on me for my birthday, and all the stuff I want costs a whole lot more than that. <laughs> and I got a list of it, you know. And, and, and so if, if you came to me today and you said, hey, here's $5,000, Cliff. Now, this $5,000, if you attempt to spend it on anything responsible like bills or something for your family or anything like that, it will disappear. If you try to put it in a savings account, it, it will disappear. What you have to do with this money, Cliff, is you've got to spend it on stuff for yourself. I could wear that $5,000 out. Now, I might hold on to it for a while. Now, this is why I would hold on to it. Not because I don't want to spend it, but because I got such a big list of stuff that I want that I want to be sure that I get the most for my $5,000. But I like stuff. And I would imagine that you're out there and you're in the same situation I'm in. That if you're honest with yourself, you would probably say, you know what, Cliff, I like stuff a whole lot too. It doesn't mean you have a lot. doesn't mean you can afford to buy a whole lot. But you probably have a list in your mind, just like I've got a list in my mind, of stuff that you want to get next. And probably, if you're like me, you even begin to think about, if I had this much money, that would be what I would buy next. And if I had that thing, my life would be so much better. If I could just get that one piece of stuff. My life would be so much better off. You might even get to the point, if you're honest, where you would say, you know, the truth is I've got, I've got too much stuff. Or you might say, i got too much stuff, but I still want some more stuff. And that's kind of where we are. We live, in a, we live in a culture that we have the opportunity to get our hands on more stuff than I think anyone's ever had the opportunity to before. There, there was a time in my life where if you wanted something, you had to hope that the store in your town had it and you could go buy it. That's not the case anymore. Now you can order stuff all over the world and have it shipped to your door. And you don't even have to leave the house. And you can have the stuff that you want just brought right to you. And, and so we live in a culture where that's going on. In fact, in America, we have created an industry. We're the only country in the world that has created an industry because we have so much stuff. We've created an industry called the storage building industry. Do you realize that in America right now, there are over 30,000 storage building facilities in this country? And if you take all that storage space in there, it adds up to over a billion, with a B, a billion square foot of storage so that we can put our stuff. There was an old uh, philosopher and comedian that died a few years back named George Carlin that some of y'all right remember. And George Carlin said that, the, that our houses are really just coverings for our piles of stuff. 
that we've, everybody's got a pile of stuff and you just put a house over the top of it. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the average size of a house in America today is twice as big as the average size of a house in America in the 1950s, despite the fact that the, the size of the American family is much smaller today than it was in the 1950s. And when I mean smaller, I'm talking about number of people smaller. It's probably bigger in terms of poundage because we're fatter than we were in the 50s. But but there's less people living in those houses, but we have bigger houses. Why? Because we need a place to keep our stuff. Well, there's a, a dangerous line that we can get to when we start to have so much stuff. And, and nobody that I know has ever said this. This has never been anybody's goal, but I think we all end up there if we're not careful. And this is the thing that nobody says, but we have to be careful of. And that is that I will let my stuff become the most important thing in my life. And I want to I read a passage of Scripture from the book of Mark today. Mark chapter 10. If you've got it, go ahead and open up to it. And if not, it's going to be on the screen. And this is a story that maybe you're familiar with. Maybe you heard it. If you grew up in Sunday school, you probably heard this. Maybe you've heard someone else teach on it before. But it's Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And it tells the story of a guy who comes up and he has an encounter with Jesus. And this is, this is how it goes. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this is a story that, that you find the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those four books the Gospels. And gospel is a word that means good news. And we call those four books the Gospels because they contain the story of Jesus. They talk about Jesus' birth, his ministry on earth, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then him leaving earth, going back to heaven. And, and so in those three out of four of those books, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find this story. And you might have heard it before, and, and you've probably heard it as the story of the rich young ruler. Well, it's interesting, as I was studying this, I read all three passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I can't find in any of those where it ever says the guy's young. So I'm not sure where we started calling him young, but he is rich. It talks about him being rich. 
And it does talk about him in the book of Luke as being a ruler. Now, I don't know what kind of ruler he is, but here's what we know about the guy. He was very rich, and in Jesus' time, like today, money often meant influence. Money often meant power. So it could have been just the fact that he was very rich, very powerful, and so because of his money, he was very influential. Now, there's two things uh, that I think that we should notice about this guy in this story right off the bat. Two things that should stand out to us. The first one is this. He was seeking spiritual answers. He was seeking spiritual answers. Now, this guy wasn't coming up to Jesus. See, back in those days, Jesus would teach, and there was this group of people called the Pharisees, and they were constantly, the Pharisees would listen to what Jesus had to say, and then they'd argue with them. And then they'd ask him questions, not because they wanted to know the answer, but because they wanted him to say something wrong, and then they could argue with them and all that kind of stuff. This, was, this guy was not like that. This guy was genuinely coming to Jesus because he really wanted to know the truth. He was seeking spiritual answers. He was um, just out there saying, I know there's something else bigger in this life. I know there's, there's got to be uh, you know, a supernatural world that's, that's bigger than what's going on here on earth. And I want to find somebody who's got the answers. And you see that in verse 17. It says that as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So he didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. He probably heard about Jesus. He knew that he had important stuff to say. So he made sure that he got up to him. And then when he got there, he took a, a, a position of humbleness in front of Jesus to say, I know that you've got the answers that I need, and I'm humbling myself before you because I want to get those answers. He was seeking spiritual answers. So he had some level of faith in his life. The second thing I think we can notice about this guy is that he was a good man. He was a good man. And what I mean by a good man is I mean he was moral. He, he wasn't running around on his wife. He wasn't cheating people out of money. He didn't get his, his money because he was, he was uh, doing stuff illegal. He was a good man. The way we know this is in verse 19 and 20, he, he, asked, he asked Jesus, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in verse 19, he starts listing off this stuff. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And this is how he responds in verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And when he answers that, Jesus doesn't look at him and say, you big liar, I know you've broken all these. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. So evidently, he was living a good moral life. He was doing the best he could. He wasn't perfect, but he was living a moral life. And, and, uh, and that's important for us to understand in this story. And, and so he was, he was seeking truth. He was living a moral life. And, and, and I think that if we think about ourselves, those of you that are in this room today, you might be in that same situation. You might be able to describe yourself in those two ways. You're, you're here today. So maybe you were drug here and you really don't want to be here, but chances are most of you are here because you want to be here. No one's forcing you. So you're seeking some type of spiritual truth. You're genuinely looking for answers. And then the second thing is, most of you, I'm sure, if you were to be described by the people you spend most of your time with, they would say, yeah, he's a good guy. He's, she's a good lady. Uh, there's, there's very few of it, you in here, and it's a couple of you that I know of. No, I'm just kidding. But there's very few of you in here that somebody would say, that dude is crooked, you know, or he's, he's bad news, or you don't want to be around her. Most everybody in here, if you were described by the people around you, they'd say you were a good person. So we have a lot in common 
with this rich guy. And you're thinking, Cliff, the most important thing I do not have in common with him is I'm not rich. I'm sure that's what you're thinking. But we're going to get to that in just a second. But we're seeking spiritual answers. We're trying to live good moral lives. We're not perfect, but we're trying to stay on the righteous path that Jesus has laid out for us to walk. So what happened to this guy? He's seeking spiritual answers. He's living a good moral life. But he had gotten to a point in his life where his stuff was the most important thing in his life. In fact, his stuff was so important that when he was faced with the opportunity, either give up your stuff and follow Jesus or keep your stuff and turn your back on Jesus, he chose to turn his back on Jesus. He chose stuff, money, possessions over Jesus. And he rejected Jesus, shut him out of his life so that he could keep his stuff. And I think that if we look at our lives, we would realize that we are awful close to doing the same thing more often than we realize. Um, there's a problem, though, that we have. And, and here's the problem. That worship of stuff is accepted even in church. Worship of stuff is accepted even in church. And in fact, in, in some churches, it's not only accepted, it's encouraged. And I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second. See, this guy here, if you ask the people around him, they probably said, man, he's on the right track. He's doing things the right way. He's keeping the commandments. He's, he's going to these teachers. He's getting, getting spiritual knowledge. He's trying to grow in his faith. He's trying to be closer to God. He's doing things the right way. But they didn't realize the whole time he was doing that, that really what was most important to him was his possessions. And in church, we can be guilty of the same thing. You can, you can come to this church every week, and your, the thing that's most important in your life can be your house, your cars, your checking account, and making more money, more more money, more money, just trying to do more of that kind of stuff. But you can be here and everyone around you will think you're on the right track. We'll even tell you you're on the right track. We'll pat you on the back and you'll host a life group and we'll tell you how awesome your house is and how great it is. And man, we're so excited that you got that new car and all this kinds of things. Not that there's anything wrong with having a house. I live in one. Not that there's anything wrong with having a new car. If y'all want to get me one, just let me know and I'll show up at the dealership this week. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the thing is, when it becomes most important, and we in church can be guilty of patting people on the back when they're really worshiping their stuff, and we act like, hey, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. If you were to decide today that you were going to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor, just like Jesus told this guy to do, but you didn't tell anybody that's what you were giving it to. You didn't tell anybody that was your plan. You just went home today told your wife, hey, baby, we're going to buy a pop-up camper and live in the Lake Robinson RV park. Tell the kids, uh, we're getting rid of the cars. We're going to go to one old beat-up truck with faded paint and a leaky radiator and throw the cell phones, take the cell phones, throw them away. We're canceling that plan. And we're going to take all that money and we're going to send it to Alex's house, the, the orphanage that Freedom Fellowship supports in Haiti, we're going to give it all to them. And you did all that on your own, but you didn't tell anybody outside of, of your family what you were doing. This is what people would be saying about you next week in the atrium of this church and in their life groups and in the office. People would say, 
oh, it's so sad what happened to them. Can you believe that? They must be bankrupt, or they must have made some bad decisions. Or Because why? Because we tend to see people as being successful financially that everything's going well in their life. Because we're very close, even as Christians, to worshiping our stuff. In fact, there are some churches, I said a while ago, that worship of stuff is accepted even in church. And I said there are some churches where worship of stuff is encouraged. There are even some churches out there that would tell you that if you've got a big house, you've got a bunch of money, that means God's blessing you. That is evidence of God's blessing on your life. And if you continue to live the way you're supposed to live, then God's going to give you more money. And I want to tell you that that teaching is nowhere to be found in the Bible. That teaching is not in the New Testament. And in fact, Jesus taught almost the exact opposite of that, especially in this story. Just because you got a bunch of money doesn't mean God's blessing you. It could mean that God's testing you to see what you're going to do with that money. That's a sermon for another day that we'll get to somewhere else. But the funny thing about worship of stuff is that it is accepted oftentimes in church. Even more accepted than most stuff. If I came in here and told you, hey, I just want y'all to know, you know, I got a big pornography problem. Just want y'all to know about that. There's not a one of you in here that would come up after the service and say, congratulations, Cliff, on that. That's awesome. Glad that you've got a big internet pornography addiction. Nobody would congratulate me on that. Um, but if, if I came up here and I told you, hey, I just bought all this stuff and I got this new thing here and I got this new toy, there would be people who saying, man, I want one of those. Let me see it. That's awesome that you were able to get that. Because why? Because we're enamored with stuff and oftentimes we accept the worship of stuff. See, this man was surrounded by other people that probably were patting him on the back saying he was doing a good job. And then all of a sudden he comes to Jesus And maybe he was expecting Jesus to say, hey, God has blessed you. It's obvious because you got a lot of money. That means God really loves you. And so here's what I want you to do. You're going to be my right-hand guy because I've been waiting for a wealthy man to be my right-hand guy here on earth. Maybe that's what he was expecting Jesus to say. But what Jesus said shattered his illusion that he was living in. We just got back, uh, my family did, the early part of this week, we were in Disney World for a week. And, uh, man, Disney World, when you're there, it's like you're living in a fantasy. Well, they, you know, there's fantasy land. They have fantasy land there. It's like you're living in fantasy land. Because while we were there, our whole world revolved around things like, okay, we've got to be sure we get to Space Mountain at this time and get a fast pass, and then we've got to make it over to the other side of the park and do this, and we've got reservations to eat here, and oh, let's, we'll jump on the monorail and go over to this other place. And our whole world revolved around that for that week. And we, I didn't have to worry about, I didn't worry about what was going on here at church. I didn't check my emails. It was awesome because it didn't really matter to me what was going on in y'all's lives. I was with Mickey Mouse, and that was what was most important. And so that's, that was the fantasy land that we were living in, which was great. It was so awesome. Then on Monday, when we started driving back, as, we're, as each mile we got closer to home, and we crossed the border into Georgia, and then we crossed the border into South Carolina, and then we're coming up I-26, and then we're getting closer to home, I start realizing, oh, we've left fantasy land behind. 
And my mind started thinking about, oh, this is what I got to do tomorrow. And this is going to be a busy week. And I got this appointment later on. And all of a sudden, that fantasy land, that illusion I'd been living in, started to fade away. Well, this guy, he'd been living in a fantasy world. He'd been living in this world thinking that it was all about him, his money, and all this kind of stuff. And when he goes to see Jesus, the words that Jesus tell to him, that say to him, it was a reality check. It blew his dreams and his hopes out of the water, and it totally changed the direction that he thought he was supposed to be going in. Because when somebody says to you what Jesus said in verse 21, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. There's not a one of you in here today that would raise your hand and say, Cliff, I just want you to know I'm rich. I'm just eat up with money. Nobody in here would say that even though some of you might be, because we don't like to admit when we're rich, unless you're Donald Trump and you make a TV show about it. But most of us don't like to admit it. But even though you would not admit today that you were rich, and you didn't have probably as much money as this guy had, if Jesus came to you and said, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, that'd blow your mind. And here's the, here's the deal about this passage of Scripture. My whole life I've heard this talk on. And just about every time I've heard it taught, I've heard a preacher, and I'm not, these guys weren't bad guys, and they weren't dumb. Most of them were smarter than me. But I heard preachers say this. Now, when Jesus said, go sell everything and give your stuff to the poor, that doesn't mean that we have to do that. Let me ask you this, though. What if it does? What if it did? What if Jesus came back to earth in bodily form and he walked right down here and he came up to me and he said, get off the stage. I've got something to say. I'm a lot smarter than you. And I'd say, yes, please go ahead. And if he looked up in front of you and said, what I said to the rich guy in that story, I'm saying to all of you, go home right now, make plans to sell everything you've got and give it to poor people. What would be our reaction? Would we choose our stuff over following Jesus? It's a struggle. Because immediately what I think is, all right, if I sell this house, where am I going to live? Do we trust that if Jesus tells us to sell our house that he's got another place he's going to provide? If I sell these cars... How are we going to get around? Do we trust that Jesus can handle our transportation problems if he tells us to sell our cars? If I sell all my clothes, what am I going to wear? Do we trust that Jesus can clothe us just like he said, I've clothed the lilies of the field and given them stuff to wear that looks a lot better than your clothes. Do you trust me that I can do that? See, the the. the The big part of this verse 21, though, that we always skip over because what grabs our attention is Jesus saying, go sell everything you have because then we're like, heck no, I ain't doing that. But then it gets to the the back end of it, and this is where it really gets important. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves What does it mean when he says, follow me? What does come follow me mean for you? So here's what I think about when Jesus said, come follow me. 
he was saying there, and, and, what he, and, he, and he says this in a lot of other places in Scripture. Luke 9, 23 says, If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When he, when he saw uh, Peter sitting there with his nets, he said, Come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. When he saw Matthew at the tax collector's booth, he said, Come follow me. That was Jesus' big thing. Come follow me. And he says that same thing to us today. Come follow me. I'm going to guide you. You follow me. I'll take you every step of the direction that you need to go through this life. Come follow me. And, and the thing about when, when he says, come follow me there, is that what he, he wants us to know is there's nothing that we should allow to stand in the way of us following him. And for the rich guy, the thing that was standing in the way of him following Jesus was his stuff. So Jesus said, you've got to get rid of the stuff because as long as you've got the stuff, you will not follow me. And I think for us, there's a lot of things that has the potential to keep us from following Jesus. But one of the things that has the biggest potential to keep us from following Jesus is our stuff. If Jesus asked us to give up the American lifestyle of earn as much as you can, spend as much as you can, and then die leaving your, your uh, kids a bunch of debt that you've taken on, that's our American lifestyle. If Jesus asked us to give that up, are we willing to do it? Because we've begun to live that way so long, and he says, don't let your stuff get in the way of following me. What does come follow me mean for you, especially in regards to your stuff? Does it mean that you need to downsize, sell your house and get something smaller and take that money that you got from the house and invest it in Alex's house in Haiti or another ministry or give it here or whatever you need to do with it? Does it mean that, that maybe you need to go from three cars to two cars or two cars to one car when you realize, you know, we really only, we could get along with just one car? Does it mean that, that maybe you need to start buying an extra week's worth of groceries every month and take it to a family that you know that's in need or give it to Greer Community Ministries or, or Miracle Hill or Greer Relief or some ministry out there? Does, what, what does come follow me mean for you in regards to your stuff? See, it's easy for us, and when I say us, I mean us, I'm including me. It's easy for us to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to church, I'm seeking spiritual truth. Well, so was the guy in this story. And, and then to say, I'm living a moral life, I'm, I'm doing the things that God wants me to do. Well, so was the guy in this story. And to not realize that we're worshiping our stuff. One of my favorite shows on TV is um, American Pickers. I love American Pickers. And it's not about dudes that pick bluegrass, and it's not about picking something else. It's about guys that go out and they, uh, they go to these places where people have collections of stuff, usually old and interesting stuff, and they, uh, they try to buy it from them. And I love that show because it's just amazing the stuff they find. Now, my least favorite show on TV that I've only watched one time, and after I got finished I felt like I needed to take a shower, is Hoarders. And that is a show about people that have collected stuff and they've never thrown anything away. Now, there's a fine line between American pickers and hoarders. There's a fine line between the people that Frank and Mike want to go visit and try to buy stuff from and the people that have let their stuff take over their life and spill out into the yard and, and all that kind of stuff. And if we're not careful, I'm not saying you're going to become a hoarder, but if we're not careful, 
if we don't really evaluate the way we feel about our stuff, we can put it before everything else in our lives. We can put it before our kids and our spouse and even our God. And that's what Jesus was saying to this man. Your stuff is in the way of you following me. So here's what I want you to do as, as we get ready to finish up. I got two suggestions for you. The first one is to answer this question. And just ask God, hey, what does it mean for me to follow you? Especially in regard to my stuff. What does that mean? And then listen for his answer. Now maybe you don't, maybe you're in a situation where you think, Cliff, I don't pray a whole lot. Try it out. Ask God. Read the scripture. And ask God as you read it, what does it mean for me to follow you? Especially in regards to my stuff. The second thing, which is very practical, track your spending for a month. Take a month, save every receipt, track every penny that you spend for a month, and see where your money is going. You'll be amazed at how much of your money Walmart has. Track your spending. And then at the end of that month, sit down with, if you're married, your spouse, if you're single, with yourself, and say, what does this mean? What does this mean about what's important to me? Is my stuff more important to me than my God? I'm going to pray for us, um, so let me pray. But as I pray, this is what I want you just to think about. Just think about your life. And by the way, let me say this too. Um, you don't have to be rich to have a stuff problem. You don't have to make more money than anybody in your neighborhood to have a stuff addiction. In fact, sometimes it seems like the less we have, the more of a problem we have with it because we are always wanting more. So, uh, so I don't want you to listen to all this today and say, Cliff, man, you stuck it to those rich people. That was awesome. I think I'm sticking it to all of us, including me. Let me pray. Father God, we read things in uh, Scripture sometimes that make us uncomfortable. And it, Lord, you know uh, what goes on in my heart when I read that you told somebody to sell everything they have. Every time I read that, it, I get uncomfortable. So I pray for myself and for everybody else here today that we would honestly evaluate our relationship to our things and our relationship to our money. Help us... Father, not to let anything get in the way of us following you. You died for us. You rose again for us. You've made the ultimate sacrifice. So we should not give our hearts or our allegiance to anything else. And I pray that we wouldn't. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.